You're listening to The Patriot Cause with Bud Cornwall, United States Marine Corps, retired standing guard on the Wall of Freedom. Welcome back, Patriots. This is The Gunny. Got a special show for you tonight. I'm going to travel to Orlando, Florida for a convention of states summit. What that means is we are going to bring all the leaders to Orlando that are part of the Convention of States. If you do not know what Convention of States is, then go to conventionofstates.com and you will learn what this grassroots movement is doing. We're growing big, we're growing strong because it's Americans fighting against the government in this country. And there is a solution, there is a way that we can bring back very simply a situation where you are the determination of this country instead of the government. Things we're going to talk about. Why call a convention of states? What is the mission of the convention of states? Can we actually explain the Convention of States. So don't go away. We will be right back. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. Welcome back, Patriots. You're on the Patriot Cause with the Gunny. So what the hell is a convention of states? See, Article 5 of the Constitution allows the government and the people to change the Constitution. That's what Article 5 of the Constitution is. That's why it was put there. And the founding fathers realized what happens if the government goes rogue on the people. Do the do the people actually have an ability to change the Constitution to prevent the government from being a tyrant state? Absolutely. They understood that because they came from England. These people were oppressed in their lives and came to this country and realized if we're going to develop 
a country of free people, then we have to have a constitution and eliminate England from this country. That is the Revolutionary War. And then these great, great patriots decided that we must develop a constitution based upon the Bible, based upon God-given rights. So we will not be in a tyranny environment like England did to us. And thus, the beginning of the United States of America. But now we are in a situation, same situation, as it was back then, where we have tyrants, elitists, trying to control us, trying to tell us that they are in control. Absolutely not. The Constitution of the United States was written so the people, the people can be in charge. But what we have seen over the years is there are flaws in the Constitution that must be corrected. And only the people can correct this. Congress and the tyranny government that we have will never, ever pass any legislation to change the Constitution to limit their power. Therefore, we must do this as citizens. So why should we call a convention of states? Simply to bring power back to the states and the people where it belongs. You see, unelected bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. should not be allowed to make sweeping decisions that impact millions of Americans. But right now, they do. Fauci, going to bring this up. He's an example. So it all boils down to one question. Who do you think should decide what is best for you and your family? You or the feds? We vote for American people every single time. The American people should decide what is best for their family, not the government. Washington, D.C. is broken. The federal government is spending this country into the ground, seizing power from the states and taking liberty from the people. It's time 
for we the people to take a stand against the tyranny with a coordinated national effort to curb the unrestrained and growing power of the government. This is what Convention of States is doing. So what is the mission of Convention of States? Why are we doing this? Why are people joining in masses Convention of States? This is why the mission for the Convention of States project is to build an engaged army of self-governing grassroots activists. This is what we have lost. We have lost the people in the states to say enough is enough. And we're standing up against the federal government. So what is the goals? What are the three things that must change in the Constitution to ensure the people are in charge of this country? Number one, we must impose physical restraints on the federal government. Did you know the Constitution does not state that the federal government must balance the budget? That's a loophole. And that's why they spend trillions and trillions of dollars. Because we have nothing legally to prevent Congress from doing this. Number two, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. What that means is the government, the federal government, is way, way too large. The Constitution only allows the federal government to do limited things like protect us from other countries, etc. And they are way, way beyond their bounds. The states must have the power back. The federal government is controlling the states. That is the tyranny that we're dealing with. Number three, limit the terms for its officials, the bureaucracy, the bureaucrats, and the foremost of Congress. Nowhere in the Constitution that if you develop, you know, Department of Education, Department of whatever it is, that the head of that person as a bureaucrat, can be in there for 40, 50 years. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say we must replace these people every four years. We must also replace Congress. 
every certain years where Congress can only serve for a certain period of time. And we have people in Congress that have been there, like Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, 40, 50 years. How in the world can we have a representation by the people when we have these elected officials have the ability to corrupt the American mind, which is what they're doing, to get reelected. I can talk about this until I'm dead, but I'm going to play a three-minute clip that will explain to you in detail what the Convention of States is and why it must happen. The United States Constitution was written to form a more perfect union that would enable checks and balances to prevent a bloody revolution from being a necessary measure to abolish tyranny. Excellent though it was, Colonel George Mason feared the national government might one day end in a tyrannical aristocracy. The rights of the people needed to be secured against potential corruption at the national level. One of the solutions the framers decided upon can be found in Article 5, which gives state legislators the authority to call a convention that bypasses federal legislators to amend the Constitution. That gives we the people the opportunity to make some long overdue structural adjustments. Maybe term limits would be a good place to start. Here's how the process works. Citizens request their state legislators to pass a bill called an application with operative language identical in each state. These legislators of the states then pass the application. Generally, only a simple majority is needed. Congress shall, by law, call a convention of the states as soon as it receives applications from two-thirds of the state legislatures. That's 34 states. Delegates chosen by the state legislatures attend the convention. Each state only gets one vote at the convention, but they can send as many delegates to represent the state as they so choose. Amendments are proposed, debated, and voted upon at the convention. Finally, ratification takes place in the states. Each amendment must be ratified by three-fourths of the states in order to become part of the U.S. Constitution. But what about a runaway convention? Come, come. Let's get a reality check. Like constitutional law scholar Robert G. Nadelson says, there are far more political and legal constraints on a runaway convention than on a runaway Congress. The convention delegates, also called commissioners, are bound to the will of their state legislatures. If they don't vote as their states demand, they get recalled and might even get sent to prison. Furthermore, a full three-quarters of the state legislatures, we're talking 38 state legislatures, must ratify each and every amendment in order for it to become part of the U.S. Constitution. Even Alexander Hamilton and Abraham Lincoln, who favored national government, emphasized that Article 5 gives states authority over the national government. Hamilton writes that national rulers have no option upon the subject. 
the words of Article 5 are peremptory. The Congress shall call a convention. And Lincoln says the convention mode seems preferable in that it allows amendments to originate with the people themselves. Article 5 Convention of the States is a safe route to stopping federal overreach. Civilizations rise and fall. Let's be a civilization that saw the cycle of collapse coming and broke it. So where are we now with the Convention of States? There is 19 states that have passed this resolution to have a state convention. See, Article 5 in the Constitution allows the amendment process to the Constitution to happen in two ways. It can happen in Congress, which we have seen 26 times where they have changed the Constitution. But it can also happen in the states. Article 5 of the Constitution allows the states to come together and change the Constitution. This is a process developed by the Founding Fathers because they knew what happens if the government goes crazy then the people, the people, can change the Constitution. We're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to play you a video soundbite where I interviewed the Chief Executive Officer President of the Convention of States, and hopefully you will understand how important it is that we must do a state convention to amend the Constitution of the United States. People get married and they still flirt Don't pledge allegiance to our flag like we used to do Good men are willing to give their lives My politicians take away our rights Saying they know best what's good for you These days dads are always gone Mama's still here but she's on her phone Grandma's raising the kids and the devil is too If you ask me, this whole world is gone to hell I speak the truth, but these days the truth won't sell Right, I give my life for this place called USA. 
and teach my kids about the land of the free and the home of the brave. I'm sick and tired of people putting it down. If you don't like it here, get the heck out of town. Go and find somewhere you love. It's fine with me. With us, so you're riding with them. Make up your mind which side you stand. If you ask me, this whole world is gone to hell. I speak the truth, but these days the truth the won't sell. Give my life This place called USA Welcome back. I am going to play the Mark Meckler video slash soundbite where he joined the Patriot cause. And hopefully at the end of this, you will have a better understanding of how we are trying to save this country. So without further ado, Mark, what we would like to know is if I was George Washington or Thomas Jefferson, those people during that time frame, they had lots of pressure, got to do something, got to get out of this tyranny. Convention of States, in my mind, is doing the same thing. We're recognizing what's going on and we want to raise this self-governance type, you know, organization that we take the power back and we control our situation. You created this organization. You come up with this idea. Can you tell us how did that happen? Yeah, you know, I want to step back a little bit and, and make sure that I don't take credit where it's not due, Gunny, because that's really important <laughs> to me. 
Absolutely. You know, the, this idea for Convention of States came from Mike Ferris. And Mike Ferris is the founder of Homeschool Legal Defense Association. He's one of my closest friends in the world. And when you talk about people who could stand in the shoes of Washington or Adams or Madison, that's Mike Ferris. Awesome. He's a constitutional scholar. He ran for lieutenant governor of Virginia. Uh, he founded Homeschool Legal Defense Association, making homeschooling legal in America, which I think is part of what's going to save this country. He founded Patrick Henry, Henry Christian College in Percival, Virginia, and he continues. He, he founded up Convention of States with me. He left Convention of States and became the CEO and general counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom, arguably the most important religious liberties organization in America. <clears throat> so credit where it's due. Mike Ferris brought this idea to me. Where awesome. I'll take credit is that I wasn't a hard sell. And <laughs> here's why I wasn't a hard sell. So America is at a crossroads right now. It has been for quite a while. It's important that we remember, we always think this is the most important election. This is the most important issue. But these types of intersections, these types of crossroad in history last years, they're not decided generally in a day or a month or even a year, or even one election cycle. And I got involved in politics back in 09. Uh, and I was one of the founders of the Tea Party movement in America. We had the 2010 election, which was a watershed election. People with the right values who said the right things won that election in overwhelming numbers. And then nothing changed in Congress. We had the 2012 election and Republicans took the Senate and nothing changed in Congress. Mm -hmm. And around that time, I talked to Mike Ferris about this and he asked if I was satisfied with what I'd accomplished in politics. And I think by sort of any normal measure of quote unquote power, we'd accomplished a lot. We had turned the House, we had turned the Senate. I was welcome in most offices on Capitol Hill I didn't like that. I don't like Capitol Hill. I don't like DC, but we had the power where we could go do that. And yet nothing was changing. And so when Ferris asked me if I was happy with what we'd accomplished, my answer was no, absolutely not. In fact, I was so frustrated that I was looking to leave politics because frankly, why spend your life at beating your head against the wall and accomplishing nothing? I wasn't interested in that. And so Ferris brought me this idea of convention of states. And what he told me is that we're approaching the problem incorrectly that instead of worrying about the personnel, we didn't really have a personnel problem in DC. We had a structure problem in Washington, DC. And then before we worried about the people or concurrently, we had to worry about the structure. And we had broken the fundamental structures of our government, especially in the last 115 years, really drifted away from the foundation of the constitution. And we'd created a government that had tons of power top down. And our system was designed really to give us power bottom up. That is the states were supposed to have the most power and then the federal government. It was kind of an upside down uh, pyramid that we had created now with the, the federal government in the position of power. And he said, we're gonna have to fix that structure. The way to do that is to call a convention of states under article five of the United States constitution, propose amendments to take power away from the federal government and give it back to the people and the states. And when you do this, when you have this dissolution of power spreading out of power, then you'll get a government that's reflective of the people mm. instead of special interests at the top. So that's where this whole idea came from. That's what gave me the continuing passion to be engaged in the movement in conservative politics in America. That's awesome. Uh, the, the conceptual minds of thinking about using the Constitution to save the Constitution is amazing. And like you're saying, Michael Ferris and people like him understood that the people have to solve the problem. Well, how do you do that? We use the documents that the founding fathers give us to solve that problem. We don't just create some off the wall 
organization that says, well, you're going to have to listen to us because this is just how it needs to be. We have something that is written by the by the founding fathers called the Constitution that allows us to go back to, to that, which was great that they actually put that in there. So, Mark, you do a lot of traveling and you go to a lot of different events and meet with all the grassroots leaders that are out there. You meet with all the legislators. So you're in the fight, not only as the CEO, but you're out there. You're always on the road, always flying here or flying there. They need to come up with a different name. Instead of frequent flyer, it just should be always flyer. That's That would be Mark Mecker, always flyer. So he goes many different places, and he does it on a dime, which is amazing. Can you tell us what you think when you go out there and you talk to this great nation? What what do you feel uh, that that the impulse or the pulses that are going on in our nation? Yeah, you know, when people ask where I live, uh, Gunny, it's generally I say on an airplane and then occasionally <laughs> I get to stay in Texas, which is where my heart is. So when I travel and I do travel a lot, it makes me smile. You might have seen I crack a smile when you start talking about travel. I hate traveling, to be clear. Like it's especially bad nowadays with all the crazy mask stuff. I don't wear a mask in the airport, by the way, just to be clear, you don't need to wear a mask in the airport. Mm-hmm. Nobody will even ask you to, so don't do it. Uh, but I travel around a couple hundred thousand, 250,000 miles a year. I've been in 48 states in the last couple of years. What I think that I know best, and I, I might say as well, if not better than anybody in the country, is I do know the pulse of the grassroots. I know it because I travel it and I get to spend time with them. And so that matters a lot. I, I pay attention to it on Facebook and YouTube and, and the comments we get on social media, markmeckler.com, my own social media page. And then I'm on the phone with grassroots all the time and doing Zoom calls and, and doing podcasts like this. And so I have a feel for what the grassroots think and feel. And in fact, I consider it a sacred trust because if I'm doing something like I'm doing with you here, or I just came off of a television interview. That's why I'm all gussied up, by the way. I don't normally look like this at home. <laughs> I got dressed up for the television folks. So you get the uh, advantage of the well, sort of clean cut, Mark. Not yeah. completely, but sort of yeah. clean cut. I, I do miss the cowboy hat, though. That's for sure. It's it's up there on the wall in the background. I promise. You. Okay, awesome. So, uh, so for me, it's a sacred trust to understand what people are thinking and to do my best to reflect that. When I'm sitting in the seat in an interview and somebody asks me a policy question, I try mm. very hard not to answer the policy question with what I think. It's what I think you think or the, the grassroots mm-hmm. think. Like, what am I hearing collectively? And so I'll tell you what I'm hearing collectively all over the country. There are some things that people are really concerned about. The number one thing I think that people are really concerned about right now is just that the country is coming apart. And it's coming Mm -hmm. apart intentionally under the guise of Marxism. The radical left has been infiltrating our institutions for a very long time. This literally starts with the Frankfurt School in Germany and Marxists. It goes through Alexander Gramsci in Italy who has the idea of the long march through the institutions. They realized that you could not impose Marxism on the United States from the outside. They also realized that you couldn't impose Marxism as a class struggle, which is what Marxism really is. So they try to set up a struggle between the classes because we really have pretty much of a classless society in America. Now I realize people who make less money, people who make more money, but we have this very mobile society. A huge percentage of Americans go from, poor to middle class in their lifetime or middle class to upper class or middle class to upper middle class. And so we have a lot of class mobility in America. So people don't resent classes. They want to be part of the next 
class up economically. And so what they invented was all this critical theory, but not just critical theory. That's Marxist. They went to critical race theory. And so they started dividing the company by country, by race, by gender, by religion, by different ideologies. And what they're trying to do is turn us against each other to cause the company to com- country, sorry, to implode, to literally collapse on itself. And the goal is then to replace that with a Marxist utopia. Americans like you and me, conservatives, even libertarians, see this coming at this point. It's been coming for a long time. There's a phenomenal book on this out right now called American Marxism by Mark Levin. One of the things that Levin says that I think is really important, and I think it's important for your listeners to note this, we're not a country that is headed towards Marxism. Mm-hmm. We're a Marxist country. We're there. Absolutely. We're, we are there. And so this is, and some people will think this is extreme. We're not Marxist in the sense of Marx and Engels and Stalin and, or Mao. We're Marxist in an American sense, because in every country, in every culture, it has its own flavor. That's why Levin's book is called American Marxism. But we have all the hallmarks of Marxism. We believe uh, that the federal government, we, broadly speaking as a country, believe the federal government should be in control of everything. Centralized planning. We're moving more and more towards centralized ownership. We believe in centralized control as a nation, as a government. This is more and more how we're structured. If you look at uh, a form uh, of totalitarianism, fascism, Mussolini called it, he defined it as everything inside the state, nothing outside the state, and nothing against the state. We're seeing a lot of that. You saw this during the Obama era, right? The cradle to grave, big state, big brother, looking over your shoulder, taking care of you. What's I think really unique right now, and a lot of Americans are concerned about, bud, is this nothing against the state. We used to be able to speak out. And even if people vilified us or hated us for speaking out, we could still speak out. What's happening now with our big tech overlords is they're in line with the totalitarians and the Marxists in the federal government or even in the state governments. And they're silencing our speech. They're shutting down our ability to do commerce. They're costing us our jobs. So this, here's the overall sentiment that I've seen really change over the last 10 years. 10 years ago, when I engaged in politics, people believed that war was coming. And when I say war, I, you know, look, there's people on the fringe that say civil war on the guns come out lock and load. I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not saying that we're going to get there. Inevitably, we might, but that's not where I'm at. But we are now at war and we are in a civil war in the United States of America. That is what I would describe as mostly a cold civil war. By cold, I mean, there aren't guns being fired. It's a cold war. It's a war of words. It's a war of power. It's a war of influence. It's a war of culture. It's a war of technology. It's war in every sense, basically, except for the guns right now. And Mm -hmm. so what people are feeling is they're anxious about that and they're worried about it. The flip side of it, the good positive side is they want to fight and they want to participate in that war. And that's where I'm at is, look, I know we're at war. I've seen the enemy. I know the enemy is evil. They're not just my political opponents any longer. They believe in killing babies up to nine months in the womb and beyond the womb. That's evil. They believe men are women and women are men, and there is no genetic or biological or scriptural reality. That is evil. They want these things forced on you and me. See, it used to be, bud, that whatever they thought was okay was just okay, and they would leave you alone. Now they want you to celebrate it. Not only will you say it's okay, but you will accept it. You will celebrate it. You will practice it. That kind of imposition is evil. And that's where we're at in America. America today. And the grassroots are feeling that way very
Well, you talk. What you're talking about is how a country is being separated apart. I want to add this to you. I spent 20 years in the Marine Corps, and I grew up in the South. When I went into boot camp, the first thing that we do for the first couple of weeks is we break people down. And I don't mean, you know, maliciously, psychologically, character-wise. Because what we do is we bring them all down to the same level. So it doesn't matter where they came from and what they did. This was America that I grew up in as a kid. Yeah, we had our problems, but it was still everybody was an individual and everybody was an American and everybody accepted being American. What I think is happening is, again, because of the, the major impact of the education system and the injection of this wanting to put us in buckets, that's the great decoupling. What's, what's concerning about using that terminology is I did a lot of research on the Internet specifically talking about the great decoupling. And believe it or not, what you get is politics. A lot of polit politicians are using that terminology because they're using it to separate from China. They're using a decoupling saying China's trying to, you know, the trade agreements and all these kind of stuff. But that's not really what the real decoupling is. The real decoupling is, is breaking down America and, and separating us from the actual foundations of the country. So I know you use that terminology often. Can you explain, you know, in your heart, what, what exactly does that mean to you? Yeah, I think one of the things we need to understand is what makes us really unique as a country. And one of the things that makes us culturally unique, Gunny, that's so important is that we're not a country based on ethnicity or tribalism or even geography, right? Everybody who, almost everybody who's here in the United States of America today came from somewhere else. Maybe not our generation, but certainly somebody in our ancestry. We came from another country. And so we come together not around ethnicity or skin color or tribalism or geography, we come together around an idea. And the idea is that we are God's children. We've been given free will. We believe that all men are created equal. We believe in equality under the law. And that's important to distinguish from equity, meaning like uh, everybody has the same equality of result. We believe everybody should have the same opportunity in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of the system. These are things, these are ideas, fundamental ideas that you and I believe in, that everybody in this country, by and large, used to believe in. And so it's important that we do, because otherwise we don't have a country and there's no right. unity of people. So one of the things that people say constantly is that America is an idea, and it is, and this is a very unique idea. And so what the leftists in America, the progressives, the radicals, the Marxists are trying to do is to undermine that idea, that one thing that unifies us. And the way that you undermine that idea is you decouple people. And the way you decouple people is you make them see themselves first, not as part of a greater whole, but as separate buckets, as you describe. You're black, you're Hispanic, you're white, you're lesbian, you're Christian, you're Jewish, you're Muslim, you're atheist. And that those things are your primary identity characteristics as opposed to being an American. And if we're all Americans, it's easy to work out our differences. If we're all come from these different buckets and then we land in this place called America, but we never assimilate, we never become the great melting pot, then we're going to decouple. And by decoupling, right. what I mean is the country 
itself is going to come apart. I think we sit at a crossroads in American history right now, or more aptly, a fork in American history. I believe the country is going to come apart. And the question is, what does it look like when it comes apart? One option is civil war, secession, call it revolution if you want. It's bloody. There's starvation. There's death. If you look at the history of revolutions in the world, we have a bad perception of revolutions, inaccurate perception, because we think of 1776, the American Revolution, hard, bloody, difficult. Yes, but the end result is fantastic. Greatest nation in the history of the earth. That's not the history of revolutions. The history of revolutions, generally speaking, with rare exception, is that the worst people win. Whoever is the bloodiest, whoever is the most vicious, who's ever the cruelest, whoever will starve out their enemy, whatever it is, those are the people who end up on top. And so that's the likely result. And I also, just geographically, Gunny, I'm trying to figure out, I look at a map, I'll use Texas as an example where I live. Dallas is liberal, Houston's liberal, Austin's liberal, San Antonio's liberal, El Paso's mostly liberal. The rest of the state's pretty red. Okay, so how do you divide that? I don't, what do you, do you have to drive all the people in those cities out of the state if it becomes a red state? I, I mean, I just don't see, there's no north-south dividing line. It's, when, in the Civil War, we had a single issue primarily that divided the country, and it was primarily geographic. It was north-south. Sometimes it went down the middle of a state, but it was north-south. We don't have that anymore. And you have, if you look at the, the electoral map geographically, you have a red map with blue dots all over it. So I just don't see a way that you can divide And I would add, this is really important, in 1776, though the people in the colonies didn't really like each other, they faced an existential threat from Britain. Today, we face an existential threat. Actually, I would argue several of them. We face that from China, the CCP, which I think is the most evil empire ever to exist on the face of the earth. I don't think there's any comparison. Uh, People who say, oh, the Nazis, the the Nazis were bad. I have Jewish heritage. Yes, they were very bad. The CCP is much worse, much more sophisticated, much more able to dominate the world. So the CCP or or the Chinazis, as I often call them, they're evil. We've got the Islamo-fascists that want to destroy everybody else in the world. And then I would just add, uh, non-governmentally, ex-governmentally, you have the drug cartels, these giant criminal cartels that now have their own military forces, sophisticated military equipment, training. And so we've got all of these things that are threatening the United States. We can't afford to dissolve as a nation. We can't afford to be engaged in a civil war, an actual civil war where we tear the country apart because no part of the country can face off against all of that alone. And so I think we face a similar existential threat. And so what do you do about that? And what I would argue that the solution is there's one of two, you divide the country up and then you fall or you hold a convention of states and you do the one thing that the founders gave us back in, in the day in 1787, they gave us federalism. Federalism is a system of government designed for people who don't really like each other that much, who don't get along, who don't trust each other. It's when one state says to another, look, I don't want to be governed by you. I'm in Texas. I don't want to be governed by New York or California. But I realize we all have to work together on international trade and international military stuff and border stuff. And that if we can't do that together, we fall apart as a country. So I think we go back to a system of federalism So I think the great decoupling is coming. I don't think that's going to stop. The question is, which fork of the road do we take? Absolutely. As a Marine, when I retired from the Marine Corps, I went into the federal government as a contractor and eventually as a GS worker. And because of my characteristics 
and integrity that the Marine Corps taught me, I had a very hard time actually functioning in the government because they just don't have, they don't have that unity that bonds an organization to be successful. And obviously they're not like a corporation. Theoretically, they really don't produce anything. They just spend money. And the individualism in the government is at, at its highest. It's all selfishness. It's all pride and greed. The religion that we're in, Christianity, tells us, our Bible tells us, that that is one of the greatest sins a person can have is pride. Now, you were thinking, well, you're pointing that finger at you, the pride's associated with you, but it's bigger than that. Pride is something that spreads out. He's famous. He's got all this. I want all that. So pride is a, it's a disease. It incorporates into an organization. And next thing you know, it's dog eat dog. I got to do better than that person. And this is exactly where our government is today. You got people in high positions in the government that really don't have the knowledge to be there. The reason I'm, I'm mentioning this is because what I've noticed over the last two years, and I sent you a Slack message about this, we now have almost 200,000 military veterans in Convention of States. Two years ago, that number was about 90, 85, 90,000. So it's just amazing. Here's why. We, as the military, and I get lots of response from my friends on the podcast, and, and they, they have joined the Convention of States from generals to privates. And they're like, this is something I can do. I can stand up now. I can speak, even if I'm in the military, because it's not a government agency. It's not, they're not speaking against the government. They're using their own free will to do this. So stand up or stand down. And that's one of the decisions that you, or, or statements that you say that's really powerful to me. Because it's, it's, it's almost like, what we call in the military, we have this line, and it's called the line of departure. So once you have all your equipment and all your Marines and, and you're ready to go, the commander says, okay, now when we cross that line, that's it. You don't go back. You have to cross that line, and you have to continue to succeed to save your Marines and do the mission. That's what we're at. We have to cross this line and go, we can't go back. So either stand up and cross the line, or you're going to be standing down behind the line. So can you give us a better understanding of how that stand up, stand down motto is uh, affecting us at COS? Yeah, and Kenny, I also want to address, you talked about pride, and I think that's something so important. I think people in modern America are confused about the word pride. Okay. So pride is considered one of the deadly sins, right? I mean, it's just, if you, if you look at scripture, we are not supposed to be prideful. And what that is referring to from my perspective is it pride in yourself, right? Just like, I'm so proud of myself and how I feel about myself. And if you want to break it down even further, and this is what's so bad about where we're at as a society where good has become evil and evil has become good, or, or that's what those things are called, is now we're supposed to have pride in what I would describe as immutable characteristics. If we are black, we're supposed to be proud of being black. Well, we have nothing to do with being black. We didn't make ourselves black and white being proud of being white. We weren't, we we're born this way. We didn't have anything to do with it. It's not an accomplishment. 
It's nothing that you should celebrate. Mm-hmm. People who are gay, who celebrate gay pride or lesbian pride or Hispanic pride or whatever the Asian pride, whatever it is, from my perspective, those are not things to be proud of. They're nothing to be ashamed of. It's fine. It's just part of who we are. But to have pride over something that you have absolutely nothing to do with, and it literally had nothing to do with you, this is how you were born or claim you were born, and you're proud of that for, for what? I mean, you don't deserve any credit for being born black or being born white, or if you believe, which a lot of people do, I, I don't believe this, by the way, but a lot of people believe that you can be born gay, then why are you proud of being gay? I think mm-hmm. it would be fair to say and reasonable if folks said, like, I would be in support of a movement, the not ashamed movement, <laughs> instead <laughs> of the pride movement. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Not ashamed to be black, not ashamed to, that's fine. And I think we should enjoy our own heritages. I don't think there's anything wrong with us. It's when we place pride on those things, like pride comes before the fall. And those are things you have nothing to be proud of. I saw an athlete today in the media who is a wrestler, female wrestler. Yes. I don't know if you saw this guy. Really? I have. It's awesome. Okay. And she says that, so she just has won the gold medal in wrestling. And she said she's incredibly proud to be an American she was proud of her accomplishment and there's nothing wrong with that, but she did give credit to God, to her coaches, to her family, but it's, she, she earned that gold medal, by the way. So I think like she put in the time, she put in the blood, sweat, and tears. She put in the years of hard work and sacrifice. She didn't say, I'm proud to be black. She said, I'm proud to live in America. I love my country. I'm proud to represent my country. She's standing up for America. Okay, so now I'm going to transition to the stand up or stand down. She's standing up. Because you know what's going to happen to her, Granny? She is going to get attacked for that. Absolutely. As a black woman in America, she's supposed to consider herself in what they call an intersection of blackness and womanhood, right? And she's supposed to consider herself a victim. And she's supposed to not be proud to be an American. She's supposed to not be proud to represent her country. And what the radical left, what the progressives want her to do is to use that platform that she's just earned to bash her country. And instead, what she did is said, no, I'm, I love, she said, I freaking love my country. Those were her words. <laughs> I love representing America. She made a heart with her hands. I love my country. It was awesome. And so, but she's going to get attacked, but she chose to use her platform to stand I just saw right before you and I started recording this podcast, Kenny, I saw another one. There's a 400 meter hurdle runner just won the gold medal. And she said, I love representing my country. I'm proud to be an American. I'm using those as an example. This shouldn't have to be an example because that should just be standard. It's normal. Yeah. But those two women are going to get attacked for that. And they damn well know they're going to get attacked. They're not stupid. They see what's going on in America. And you know what they chose to do? Stand. Stand. They know the heat's coming. They know the attacks are coming and they didn't care. They stood. So when Gunny and I are talking about stand up or stand down, and here's what's going on a lot in America. And I understand why, but I'm going to, I'm going to call it out for what it is. People say, I was at dinner with my kids. I got grown kids. They came over. They were saying a bunch of leftist nonsense. They were telling me about how men are women and women are men and gender is fluid and there are 57 genders. I don't even go there. <laughs> I don't even say anything because, you know, it's just not worth it. Right. It's going to be uncomfortable at dinner. And I'm saying you stood down. That's what you did. 
because you let your kids get away with this garbage, this nonsense, this anti-scientific babble, stupidity, evil, and you let them go out and you let them think that you think that it's okay. And that's not okay. And so you need to stand up. You need to fight with your kids over that. I'm sorry. I know that's not pleasant. I totally get, and, and you know what? Maybe your kids won't come over for dinner anymore. And I'm sorry for that. And I'm sorry for telling you, you need to do that. Ben Franklin was on the opposite side of the American revolution from his son, who was a Tory. They took opposite sides in the war. That's how much Ben Franklin believed in what mm-hmm. he was doing. How much do you believe in what you're doing? How much do you believe in the country? How much do you believe the country's under assault? What kind of country do you want for your grandkids and your great grandkids and all the rest who will come after us? And if you're not willing to just engage in a debate, you obviously don't care that much. Yeah. And so it's at, it's at your dinner table. It's with your kids. It's with your grandkids. It's with your kids' friends. It might be at work. And what I'm saying to you now, and I might not have said this to you five years ago, but what I am saying to you now is that you're at work and you're sitting around a table and people are saying a bunch of woke nonsense, you got to speak up. Absolutely. You're not the only one that thinks it's woke nonsense. And if you don't speak up, everybody else will be coward. Everybody else will stand down and you will be responsible for that. That'll be on your back, your shoulders, your conscience. If the country falls, you got to stand up. Hey, you know what? That might cost you your job. Yep. I'm not saying it won't. I, I don't want to make light of this. I'm not telling you that what I'm saying is easy. I'm not telling you that it doesn't involve massive sacrifice. I think we've downplayed the sacrifice too much. As Americans, we should be willing to sacrifice our personal comfort, our personal lives for the good of the country, for the good of posterity, frankly, for the good of the world. I'm telling you, when you're at church and your pastor says some woke nonsense, a lot of pastors are these days, you have an obligation to go up, stand up, go talk to your pastor afterwards. By the way, do it in a Christian way. Privately, take your pastor off to the side, address your brother privately first. Pastor, I have a problem. Father, I have a problem with this. I don't understand why you would say this thing. This is woke nonsense. This is unhealthy. This is not biblical. And then I would go to other people if your pastor won't do anything. I would be the troublemaker. And again, it's easy for me to say because I'm always the troublemaker, bud. Let's just see what I am. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But I'm telling people now. Your country is at stake. Your kids are at stake. The future's at stake. The world's at stake. I'm telling you, stand up. And if you don't stand up, then you are standing down. And I just want you to make that choice. I just don't, what I don't want you to do is just be quiet and think you're not making a difference. Because if you're quiet, you are making a difference. If you're quiet, you are propping up the totalitarians, the Marxists, the progressive radicals, the people who want to destroy the society, the people who want to pollute your kids, the people who want to take away your property. You're propping those people up. Senator Tom Coburn, one of my best friends, one of the best mentors I ever had in my life said, you get what you tolerate. Yes. Elevate what you tolerate. So the question is, stand up and fight and say the uncomfortable things and maybe get in trouble and maybe cause yourself some pain or stand down and elevate that stuff. I'm going to stand up. I know you are too, Gunny. I hope all your listeners will do the same. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. I, I, I got something I think is neat that's unique about being a Marine, our uniforms. No matter where you go in the world, you can see a Marine, especially in a dress blue uniform. And when they walk, they're proud. They stand up and they walk everywhere. And everybody around the world always looks at us as this awesome, awesome force, but they also look at us as awesome people because we're gentlemen, 
We are kind, even though we're in that situation. That's what standing up means to me, is always wear a uniform. I'm not talking about a military uniform. I'm talking about the uniform of pride, the uniform of liberty. It's like Paul is telling us, you know, the full armor of God. Go out there, stand up like a knight in shining armor with this freedom and going, you're not going to break through this. I'm going to stand up and show you what it's like, what it's supposed to be like to be an American. And don't allow anyone around you to, to break you down, break down that, you know, what you have and the abilities of what you have to have a, the, the liberties that we deserve. So, so part of standing up, you're not a Marine and you may not have a uniform that you can wear like the Marines do because everybody in the world recognizes us. However, you can put on a uniform. And what I mean by that uniform is pride, liberty, freedom, stand up, know that you're a patriot, that you're part of the greatest country. And when you walk around and talk to people, it's like you're displaying that. And when they walk through, when you walk through an airport or wherever, they can tell whether you're wearing a, 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 you know, a hat or a shirt, something that says, hey, I'm not taking it anymore. You know, no, no way, Joe, and all those different things, you know, that's the uniform that you can wear. And people recognize that and see that. I look at it this way. If you remember the movie Tombstone, I love that movie. And one of the greatest scenes is you got all four of them in black clothes with big old hats on and got their guns, you know, and they're headed down to the OK Corral and you could see them. They just it's people moving out of the way as they're marching down the road. That's what we need to do. By the way, that's what Marines do. When we go into areas and places like that and they see us coming, people, you know, they get out of our way. They make a hole and make it wide. That's what we want. We want patriots that are going to stand up, COS people walking all over airports, everywhere, and people going, I know who they are, and I'm going to stand up with them. That's what I'm talking about, standing up. Yeah, you know, but I got to I tell you my favorite Marine story because what you're saying is so true. A lot of people don't know that Marines are not allowed to travel in their camis and fatigues. That's right? correct. So you'll see folks in an airport and they're in camouflage, fatigues, camis, whatever you want to call them. You can know for sure they're not Marines. And this is, by the way, I want to be really clear. I love all the branches, not a slam on any of the yes, other branches by any means. Same. Yep. Like it looks nice and comfortable traveling in your camis. That seems like a good way to go. <laughs> oh, I'd love to have done that. Let me right? tell you. <laughs> but the reason they don't allow Marines to do it is because you can't look sharp and pressed in your camis. That's and the right. Marine image is sharp, pressed, erect. You know, you want the sharp, starched crease in your dress blues. That's how Marines present to the world. And so that's why what Bud's talking about is there's a certain image that the Marines demand of their Marines out in public. And trust me, I talked to lots of Marines. They wish they could travel in their camis. It's just <laughs> not part of the culture. Not allowed to do that, right? Nope. And not so allowed. what Bud's talking about is walking with that. I had a, a friend who was a legislator here in Texas. And one day I walked into his office and he had a new young staffer working for him. And this staffer was in his 20s, clearly very young, very fit. You know, he's standing up, shoulders back in a well-fit suit. He had a nice fade going on on the side of his head. And I looked at him and like, you're a Marine, aren't you? And he said, yes, sir. And I just, like, you could just tell. He was not wearing, he was wearing a suit. He was not in dress blues or anything. But there's a certain carriage, a way that, that they carry themselves. 
And so I think this is part of what Bud's talking about. And for, for you or for me, it's not about the posture, though it is, to be honest with you, you know, everybody should be upright and kind of do their best to have that look and that feel, that pride of belonging to something bigger than themselves. Remember when Gunny's talking about pride, he's not talking about the kind of pride we talk about in the Bible. That's It's not pride. I'm so awesome. It's pride. Like I'm so proud to be part of this thing. That's so much bigger than me. And all I am is part of this thing. Part of, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be a child of God. God gave me that gift. It's not mine. It belongs to something bigger. If I was a Marine, I'd be proud to be part of the Marines. I'm proud to be part of COS because of everybody else. And because of this small way that I fit into that whole thing. So what Gunny's talking about when you're out in public is to walk with that, that confidence, that knowledge, that belief. You're an American. If you're an American, you're exceptional. You live in the most exceptional country ever in the history of the world. You are blessed by God to live here, and you should carry that with you like a badge, a badge of honor, right? When I go into the airport, Gunny was talking about being in the airports. I do. I always wear a shirt. My favorite these days is our Hell No Joe shirt. You can get that at conventionestates.com. Shows an AR says Hell No Joe, right? And I'm wearing usually a COS hat with that. Why do I do that? I don't wear a mask, by the way. And so I'm a friggin' spectacle when I walk through the airport. <laughs> everybody else is wearing a mask. And when I walk through that airport, man, but I'm just like, you know, I'm chest out, shoulders back, chin tucked. Yeah. And, and people, by the way, say stuff to me. I can't walk more than a couple hundred yards in an airport without somebody going, yeah, nice Absolutely. shirt. Love, yes. Right. And here's what I say when they do. I walk up to them I'm like, hey, by the way, you can take off your mask. And they go, really? They go, yep. I travel a couple hundred thousand miles a year. Nobody will say a word to you. You need to wear it to get on the airplane, most likely. My motto is don't be a sheep, but don't be a jerk either, right? So if somebody comes up, hey, man, you got to wear a mask, then I might wear a mask. I'll be nice in a store, especially on an airplane. But in the airport, nobody says anything to you. And so here's why I'm saying this to you. When I say stand, because what happens when you stand and I stand and Patty stands and The entire COS staff traveled recently. None of us wore masks in the airport. We're all standing. And what happens is other people like, I could stand? Yes. You you mean I could stand like you? Like you look good, you know? And I'm not saying good, like, oh, I look so sharp, but I look good because I look like a free man, a free person, a person who has personal sovereignty. I'm not doing it just because they tell me to do it. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. I'm not going to do it. And so when I stand like that, if you stand, you stand out. And if you stand out, other people want to as well, and they will stand with you. And pretty soon it won't just be you or me and Gunny or three of us or five of us or 10 of us. It'll be hundreds of thousands and then millions of us. And if we all stand instead of standing down, they can't stop us because we are a society of laws. And when you are a society of laws, laws require voluntary voluntary compliance. There's not enough police. There's not enough force for society, for the, 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 even the military to stand against us if we all stand together. So it's time for you to stand, just like Gunny stands every week, just like I stand every week. Time for you to stand and lead instead of standing down. Don't, don't be a person, you know, Gunny, posterity judges everybody, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you're going to look back. You know what your career looked like. Your kids are going to look at your career what did grandpa do? What did dad do? They're going to look at how you lived your life. And there's going to be some judgment there. And they're going to look back generally, generationally and say, what did that generation do? 
And there's going to be a, a reckoning that comes on our generation. And they're going to say, when liberty was at stake, did they stand or did they stand down? So I could tell you one thing for sure, Gunny, 100%. I have no idea what's going to happen. Sure. <laughs> People ask me all the time, well, what's going to happen? Is it going to be okay? My answer right. is it's going to be okay because we got God, but what's going to happen? I don't know, man. I don't Absolutely. have a crystal. I don't have a crystal ball. And so here's what I do know, though. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand. And I know that they're going to look back at us, at this generation, and they're going to say one of two things, because one of two things is going to happen. We're going to lose liberty, liberty, and they're going to look back and say, man, can't believe those people didn't fight. I can't believe my grandpa, my dad, like, what did they do? Uh, they were busy golfing while we lost liberty. I wonder what it was like when men and women were free. That's one option, right? They're going to look back and they're going to say that. Or maybe we lose liberty and they say, hey, you know what? Gunny fought, man. He fought yeah. to the very end. He went down swinging. He was Absolutely. 90 years old and he went down swinging. And I'm proud of my Gunny. And even though we're living in caves and we're the resistance, Gunny is who I look to for my, my honor and my way forward. They're going to say that. Or they're going to say, right, we won. And they're going to look back at Gunny and maybe Mark and people like you. And they're going to say, thank God that those people fought for. Thank God my grandma was willing to put on a hell no Joe shirt and take off the mask and walk through the airport. Thank God my mom wasn't going to stand down because she was afraid of what they might do to her at the PTA meeting. You have a choice. You are going to play a role in history. You may not think of yourself that way. Most people don't think of themselves that way, but you are going to play a role in history. And people will know what you did. Your kids will know what you did or didn't do. Your grandkids may know what you did or didn't do. And the bottom line is your maker will know. That's the ultimate Absolutely. judgment. We will all be judged. Some people tell me, oh, don't engage in politics. You know, it's dirty. And I'm, I'm a Christian. And I'm like, I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. Yeah, I don't know, Gunny. You know the Bible no. better than me. Maybe you were a pastor. Maybe you can quote scripture. Tell me and tell me, tell me the part of the Bible where it says, Things are going real bad, and I just want you to sit on your hands and do nothing about it. <laughs> That's not in there. It doesn't it? exist. No. Yeah. So what, what it does say is that we're supposed to put on the full armor of God and go fight for the things that are righteous. Fight for the things that are good. Fight for the things that we believe in. Stand up. Paul says, run the race. Run yes. the race. He means, man, full force, hard as you can, all the way to the end. Not because we are intended to be victorious in the way that we think about it, but because we are intended to fight for that which is righteous. That's what standing is. That's what I encourage every great American patriot to do. I know you do it every day, Gunny. That's why it's such an Absolutely. honor to work with you every day, brother. Absolutely. You're, you're right on the nail. It's, um, I'm blessed. I'm blessed to be part of COS. I'm blessed to have the family that I have. But I want to tell a true story that wraps up exactly what you're talking about. This is October, or I mean, November of 2020, Thanksgiving. And my family comes to my house for Thanksgiving. My son, his wife, and their kids, my daughter, and so forth. So we all meet at my house. November of 2020, we're getting ready to prepare for this big event. And my daughter says, well, uh, we're going to have to wear masks, you know, when we come to Alabama, right? And I'm going... What do you mean you're going to have to wear masks? She goes, well, you know, it's mandatory wherever you go. And Alabama has mandatory masks and stuff. And I said this blank, plainly with, with love emotion to my daughter. I says, 
here's how simple this is. If you think that me and your mother have COVID and we're sick, then do not come over here. But I'm telling you right now, if you don't show up for Thanksgiving at this house, it's not going to be good. And when you do show up, you're going to bring your family and we're going to have a family Thanksgiving without any of this political stuff, without any of that. I didn't hear from, from her for about six or seven weeks. And then she called her mom and said, uh, we're going to come. And I was, that's standing up. Yep. I love my family, but I'm like, no, no, wait a minute. We're free. We're free people and we're going to stay that way. So if you want to come here, you're going to come here free or you're not going to come here. So, yeah, you look, fear, awesome. is, fear is not a virtue, right? No, faith it's not. is a virtue and faith is the opposite of fear. Be not afraid. Be with the Lord. Your Lord, your God is always with you. So be courageous. Don't be timid. Don't be fearful. Joshua 1, 9, one of my favorites. Just be be strong. Be of faith. Know that God is with you. Be in the fight because you're never, ever alone if you have your faith, if you have your belief in God. And by the way, if you're in that fight, just know me and Gunny will be with you too. Absolutely. Side by side to the end. Well, Mark, you're... It's such a blessing that you're here. I know you're a busy man. I want to pray for you when you're traveling and going. I do it all the time. The listeners love you. I get feedback talking about, well, when can you get Mark? Well, there he is. He's awesome. I, I can't thank you enough. Have you got any uh, final words that you want to, to let these great patriots know? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the last and most important thing is it's not on me and Gunny. It's on you. And, yes. and I'm asking him for a lot from you. I really am. I'm asking you to sacrifice. For too long, Americans haven't been asked to sacrifice. We live ha happy and fat on the hog, and we haven't sacrificed, and we haven't had to put ourselves. So many of us never served in the military. We never made that ultimate commitment. We don't even have friends or family who made the sacrifice. Now I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's not me. It's not just Gunny. It's each of us individually. We all do this individually. We link arms. We'll do it together. And I believe... But I believe that in my heart. I'm in the fight with you. Gunny's in the fight with you. Anything you need, let me know, Gunny. I'm always with you, brother. I got you. Amen, sticks. brother. Absolutely. Thanks again. Have a wonderful, wonderful day and be safe on the trips. And I will be seeing you soon in Nashville, I think, or if not Albany, but somewhere we'll meet. Be there in Nashville <laughs> with you, brother. We'll see you there. All right, brother. Take care. Right. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. of the free life is still yet to come the good times ain't over for good